And we are back. Welcome back to the swamp, everybody. This is the Ogre and the Ass podcast. How you doing, Eric? Pretty good, actually. Just woke up, so nice. And, <laughs> nice. And I'm in my drawers currently. Okay, well, yeah. we'll have to pan up so we don't see that. <laughs> can you see it, though? Uh, yeah, can it's you? probably on the camera. Huh. Hey, ask y'all, can y'all see Eric's drawers? <laughs> don't stand up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> no, man, you know, I always look forward to doing these. Ooh, that was a little loud. I always look forward to doing these, getting out here. And today, uh, for everyone who's listening, Eric and I wanted to talk about something. Uh, maybe it, us being a little vulnerable, but also I think conversations that need to be had. Uh, but first and foremost, before we really get into our topic today, tomorrow is the last day. Well, by the time this comes out, by this time, this releases, we'll have picked a winner of the raffles for a $50 gift card and a $25 gift card, both to Amazon. So please keep your eyes out. We're really excited to announce those winners tomorrow. But anyway, moving on. So, you know, today when I when we were deciding about a topic, and we don't talk a whole lot about our topics, we always don't want we don't want these to ever be scripted. We want these to always be pure and just off the top of our heads that you get the genuine parts of us. And one thing we wanted to talk about that we think is fair is that we also talk about our biggest failures. We come up here, we're assholes, we're, we'll we'll be funny, we'll bring up other people and their successes. But I don't think we've ever been transparent enough to talk about our own failures in the times that we should have. So, you know, and I know this is not fair, but <clears throat> Eric, <laughs> I'm going to have you lead this one off. Oh, boy. So, Eric, I'm going to. Hey, I got questions. If you if you run out of something to talk about or your mind just kind of stops, I can ask you a question. So but first and foremost, Eric, I'm going to dive right into it. The biggest question in your life. What is the one biggest failure that you feel like you've had? Can there technically be two? Let's go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because, you know, there's that failure at when you're in the younger stage of your life, then there's the failure in your adult 20-year-old I think life. being a kid, you're you're okay to fail when you're yeah. a kid. Yeah. But go ahead. Whatever sticks out to you, man. I think, let's say, I would say growing up mm, from the seventh grade to my senior year, so... Pretty much from 2007 or eight back in Prescott all the way oh, up yeah. until 20, sorry, 2010 in high school when I graduated. I remember I had this mentality, and this is mainly with me doing wrestling. You know, I could not fail my coaches. I didn't care if I lost. I just couldn't fail the coaches. For example, if Caldwell told me, hey, you could have beaten this guy. You just gave up. That bothered the shit out of me. Oh, okay. Because I was like, they're like father figures for me, like three of these coaches. And I remember I was like, oh, hey, right. I definitely uh, messed up on that one. So, like, your coaches, like, your wrestling coaches were, like, father figures to you? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I was like, hmm, let me try and pull my head out of my ass. Something Ken will, the other coach would always say. And, you know, Ray Hickman would always be a, jack, a jackass, too. <laughs> Shout out to Ray. <laughs> By the way, I, can I, I have to just interject this. As I know we're getting deep, but I have to put this. So, Ray, Ray was this bigger dude. Uh, he was big, bigger than all outdoors, but I loved it because he embraced it and he had this shirt. He was, a, he was a big guy and he put, I beat anorexia on his shirt and I loved it. Forgot about that. That was the, my favorite shirt. When I saw him, I couldn't stop laughing. But anyway, uh, go ahead. Man, but I remember uh, that mentality came, you know, with me from seventh grade all the way up to senior year. And I remember by the end of my senior year, you know, I was doing, you know, well enough in wrestling to where I was on varsity and I was, you know, projected to be able to make it to state and i remember 
I used to do crazy things to lose weight. I didn't do anything stupid like throw up or, you know, anything too crazy. But if I had, had to like eat just a potato and some yogurt for the day, I'm like, all right, let me just eat that. And then I'd cut, you know, 20 pounds, 25 pounds. You sweat sh- suits? Oh, yeah, sweatsuits, which are illegal, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the culture didn't care, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not out them. Maybe yeah. back then it wasn't illegal. <laughs> well, it was, it was illegal back then, too. Yeah. Yeah, let's not out them. <laughs> well, it's too late now. These father figures. <laughs> But anyway, I remember, you know, I, I lost from 4 a.m. to about 2 p.m. I would get up and start losing weight. And so I'd lose about 25, 20, 25 pounds in a day. It was very unhealthy. But I had it was water weight. It. There's no way you lost 25 pounds. Oh, yeah. Pounds, it was all water weight. Pounds. Yeah. Wow. And I remember uh, I kept doing that because I wouldn't say I had a bad eating habit, but just I was always hungry because I was cutting weight. And so anyway, I get to where I do this a few more times throughout the season. And I remember the last time I did it, it was for... Uh, league in modesto you know where all the schools come together and all wrestle for the, for the tournament see so goes to divisions then sections and then state i remember i felt really bad during league because i couldn't make i mean i made the way but i just couldn't keep that same energy before i can lose 25 pounds before a match and have the energy this time i was just like i, I can't do this and yeah. so i remember i had to uh wrestle for the number one spot in my area, which I won the previous year, but I lost this year because I had the lack of energy. And then after I took second, I went to divisions, you know, I took, uh, what was it, third place? And then from sections out there, you know, out there in Stockton. Stockton, California, <laughs> shout out to 209. I had that, I had even less energy. And, you know, and Kentwell, you know, uh, he, he noticed that too. And he remember, he, he recalled, you know, you know, telling me after I had a, went was it one and two at section so I, I won one match and lost two and i was like out couldn't make it to state and i was at least projected to go to state because i beat a handful of state people at previous tournaments throughout the throughout the season of that year and so going to state was projected for me but i remember i felt bad because i just couldn't keep that same you know momentum going and it can't well he, he told me he says i understand you did your uh very best and you just your body is definitely, you know, growing because you started off the season at 200 pounds and we wanted you to go 170, you know, and, wow. you know, he was just saying, you know, it's very hard for a body to keep that up, you know, and I was like, yeah, you're right. But, you know, I could have done better. But he says, nah, yeah, but we understand. He understood the situation. And uh, but one thing I remember, though, is that even though I lost that match, he told me, OK, you lost this match. But next to you is a uh, wrestler, you know, I think it was a. Uh, I believe it was Gabe Gonzalez and he went to state and he says, I need you to, you know, support him now because he has a chance to go to state. And so I went to his match, you know, next door to mine during the tournament and I supported his and then he ended up beating this guy. He went up going to state and I still went to state to uh, support the team and it was still enjoyable to, you know, to go there. But I remember I was like, man, this could have been me. I could have been out there. Really? Yeah. I, you see, you've never told me that story. You've never told me that you were in the stands thinking like, dang, that could have been me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just, my whole body was just like, no, my mind was not in the game anymore. Like, I still love wrestling, but the cutting weight part, you know, being going from 200 to 170 and maintaining it, it just got too much towards the end of the season. But, yeah, that, that was, you know, in high, in, uh, in high school. But quick story about, I'm going to say my 20s. Is this your second story? Yeah. And okay. It'll be much quicker. Oh, that's fine. Don't yeah. take your time. Yeah. I remember, I want to say... <clears throat> I want to say it was probably what eight or nine months after I got back from the mission, a year or so. We're living in Rexburg, 
Yeah. And I really had to like look in the mirror. And then I did this in the mission too. I had to look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm preaching this good gospel, but do I really believe everything? Do I believe that there's a place in it for me? Cause you know, I was like my own sexuality and I was thinking to myself, okay, I need to be honest with myself and make sure that, you know, the church understands where I stand and people understand around me where I stand, especially in Rexburg, you know, super Mormon culture. And so I felt like I disappointed myself in the sense that I preached a good game, but I didn't quite believe everything on the mission that I was preaching. Yeah. You know, and I was like, all right, let me just be real with myself because I can't go 20 plus years, you know, being fake because let's be honest. A lot of people in the church, especially the ones with sexual issues, they'll sit there, you know, they'll, you know, marry somebody in the church and then leave that person. You're talking, like, just, let's just be open about it. You're talking about people who are like, are either bisexual or gay. Exactly. And they go and they just follow this routine of, well, no, we still marry, you know, a female. We, we start a family because that's what we're told. So you're, you're talking oh, about yeah. that. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just funny because I've seen like so a handful of people, you know in that situation where they have kids, they're still in the temple, you know, and then they end up leaving. And I was like, see, you, you weren't true to yourself. And now it shows in your family, you know, of course they still love you. And that, you know, they're usually, it's, it's a good departure in the sense that, you know, people understand the situation, but it's not good in the sense that you went through all this stuff to get to this point in your life where you're in the temple, you're sealed to your family for all time and eternity. But then you turn around and say, Hey, look, I prefer men or I prefer females, whatever. And you end up leaving the, all that behind. And so I told myself, I don't want to be that, that person. Cause you know, I was already disappointed at times with myself with not being truly true. So that's why I had to make a stance like, okay, I'm bisexual, but at the same time, I still believe in you know, the gospel of the church. You know, I definitely understand, you know, there's a role for everybody. I just don't think that me going to the temple is going to be my role. Now, with that said, you know, what does all that entail, you know, when it comes to eternity? I don't know. That's up to God to decide. But Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to me, I accept the fact that chances are I probably will never be sitting in the temple. And that is okay with me. There's, there's Come to terms with it. Oh, yeah. There, there's billions of people on this earth who have not had that treatment. And I'll be just one of those billions. And we'll just no, for real. have a good time in the afterlife just chilling. So yeah, I got you. Yeah. So so in a in a a, you know nutshell, to me it was disappointing that I couldn't live up to the gospel, but at the same time it was relieving to know that I can at least be honest with people around me. That way I'm not putting up airs, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. See, I never knew that was something you dealt with. Like as far as like you consider that a failure. Now I just want to make sure I understand this. You're not talking about a failure that you felt like you weren't true to yourself. Do you felt like you were failure that you weren't true to the gospel? I would say both. Could it, could it be both? Well, because did you feel like you had to hide who you were for a while? I would say so. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to hide it, or you yeah. didn't yet know? Like you were still figuring that out, or did you know for a while and let's you were go, still hiding it? Actually, let's go with denial. Because oh, yeah, because oh, that's mm-hmm. actually I did. I did <laughs> that's a good powerful. Job. Oh yeah, because I want to say you know at the age of twelve, you know, I had my sexual exploits, you know, but I was a kid, you know, I kept telling myself for years in my teens, like oh, I was just a kid, you know, it's like summer camp, you know. <laughs> oh boy, it's one time at band camp. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know, it's just band camp. We don't talk about it, but it happened, and so you keep telling that to yourself, and then you know, you finally hit your twenties, you're more cognitively aware of things, you're more wiser, like okay, that was camp, but it still obviously carries on. You know, yeah, and so obviously you need to address that before it flares up into something ridiculous, like leaving your family behind because you're gay or you know a lesbian or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and I got so, you. Yeah, yeah. So to answer your question, yeah. Oh, dude, that's me for being that open about it. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know that. Yeah. All this time we've lived together, all this time we've been together, like I've never known that. No, oh, yeah, I don't. 
I don't really. I'm not want to talk about a lot of those things. It was interesting. I I remember the day you came out. I remember I was actually yeah, sitting. We, we were roommates. But well, we were roommates at the time. Oh. But I it was. I remember where I was because it almost started a fight. Did, it? did I tell you this? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I don't give a damn now. I'll talk about him. Maybe I'll be respectful. Won't drop his name, but do I know? Um, him? No, nah, you probably met him for a second, but I know you uh, remember him. Okay. Anyway, I was sitting in church and I see the the Facebook thing. Now I was already pretty certain. Like I think we'd had conversations. There had been some talk about it, and we didn't huh. care. Like yeah. obviously, me and Sean, like we're all roommates. We don't care. And we all uh, share the same bed, right? Oh golly, <laughs> that's the. I guess I got to say that now. I was like, oh yeah, I, I remember I used to sleep next to a gay dude. <laughs> Um, but no, I was in church and I was showing it, uh, showing it to a girl at the time who I was dating. I screenshotted it, sent it to a girl I was dating. And there was a dude that was sitting next to her and, uh, he texted me like, he's trying to be a little smart ass, but it was like, oh man, you two would just be so cute together. And like, <laughs> he didn't know me. Like this dude did not know me like at all. He, he did not know like what, uh, what I was about. He, like he didn't know me at all. He couldn't tell you my last name. And yet he's trying to make this joke about this big moment when you came out. And I just remember I texted him back, just WTF. And I was like, so is this something we need to settle outside? <laughs> and I can show, and, I'm, and I don't remember exactly this how I worded it, but it's to the extent of, I can uh, show you how cute this really is. Shit <laughs> sure, sure, ain't sweet. Yeah, you want to call this cute? I can show you how cute it can get. Because I was just like, what the hell? Like, this is a big moment. He was just, he was peeping over his shoulder. Something, so I was just, whatever. Like, yeah, it would have been fun. But yeah, that almost started a fight a little bit. I didn't get anything back. And then I got hit with a, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I was like, yeah, just don't talk about shit. Like, you know, like it's not your place. You know, that was a big uh, moment. Obviously, I'm defensive over you. And then it was just the, like the whole moment of that. Like, just what, what the hell? Like, be tactful. And also, I don't know you, so don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm much more open now. But back then, I think I was a little more of an asshole. That's, that's fair. funny enough. I'm yeah. somehow more of an asshole back then in some ways, maybe. But. You know what's funny? Think about Speaking about being overprotective. You know, I saw that post. Remember that email your ex I told you about on Facebook? Oh, yeah. We don't need to get too deep into that. No, yeah. we're not. But I was saying, though, I saw another post of, you know. Of, yeah, of that, of that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's all happy and gussied up and stuff. And I was just like, I'm happy for you and I want to like it, but fuck you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm protected. Hell, yeah. That's, that's a real one right there. That's what we do. <laughs> You it's funny. It's bitch. about how many shows back. No, I ain't going to speak bad on no one's yeah, name. Yeah, no. She, I, you know, you know, I like her overall. Yeah, she's cool. Yeah. We don't speak bad about people here. <laughs> Stuff happens. But anyway. But Eric, going back to you, like talking about that. So do you feel like, are you ever, are you at terms with that failure? Is it something that still haunts you? Is it something you're still learning to deal with? Like what's, where are you at in that process? Oh, well, when it comes to the whole wrestling thing, I was like 10 years ago. I know. Oh, yeah. That's different. <laughs> yeah, I let that slide. But uh, when it comes to uh, this one... I do have moments where I'm like, I felt bad for preaching. And luckily, I told, I always gave myself an out when I did preach the gospel back in, you know, Tennessee and Kentucky. I was never heavy handed about it, saying it's what you have to do. I always said, hey, if you want a blessing, this is what you need to do. You know, but I felt bad for, for the, the children that I would teach and for the adults, the, like the elders, the ones who are struggling with something. And, you know, I was like, well, this is a good gospel. You know, if you follow it, you'll be blessed and all this good stuff. You know, I really, you know, gussied it up as you should but you in didn't, the gospel. You don't feel like you were very empathetic to that sort of like what they're dealing with? I want to say I was, uh, you know, empathetic. I I don't know. Maybe I don't, I don't know, actually. I, I just remember a feeling of just, you know, after, you know, coming out saying, yeah, I preach to you guys to do these things, especially to the to the youth or to the, yeah. you know, the elders who aren't members in the church who are trying to go into the church but had their own issues. I felt bad for them because a lot of them liked me. But, you know, I felt like I kind of let them down. But at the same time, 
after I came out, a lot of people in Tennessee and Kentucky were still supportive. Yeah. Like even people in like, you know, strong, you know, Christian, Republican, you know, T- Tennessee, Kentucky, they're very still supportive, which is which is good. I, you know, somewhere else is saying, I don't get it. And that's understandable. If you don't get it, you don't get it. Yeah. But they weren't like, how dare you do this? You or, know, yeah. desecrate this and yeah. all that nonsense. They're supportive. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. See, I, I think this is always good that we do this stuff on the podcast, that we're able to be more open about stuff. And I, I think it helps. For those of you who are watching us or listening, I hope you do feel like you don't think this is staged. Because it's definitely not staged. This oh, is yeah. just right there. and, and then. Yeah, I, no, you actually brought it up. What, as soon as I woke up around, what was it? Eight? No, no, nine. Yeah, because we had written it 15? down. We had written it down somewhere as a potential topic. All our topics are very ambiguous. Like, there's no no real direction, and we just kind of wrote down. I remember we were just planning like maybe we should just write down our big, like talk about our biggest failures one day. Yeah. A chance for us to be real, but also open. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you you talked about it through text as I woke up earlier today, and I gave it like a second thought, but I didn't want to put too much thought into it because then I'm like overthinking. It's, yeah, thing. it's overthinking it yeah. for real. Gotcha. No. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, no, that's it. Just be true to yourself and. You know, that's it. Don't don't live your yeah. life in regret. I think we're all trying to figure out life. I mean, that's not yeah. Don't oh, that regret thing. We can always go back to that. I think that's why we have it. So it's about regrets or you know our biggest failures. Whatever you want to consider it. Um, really, I guess failure and regret go hand in hand. I, maybe in every situation. I don't know. I'm not. I haven't put enough thought into it. <clears throat> yeah. So I guess for me. Going into it, went back to, you know, let's time travel back to 2013. Oh, 2013. <laughs> Seems like forever ago. Yeah. And I remember during this time of my life, uh, first as a senior in high school, that all of my buddies were going off on missions. So I guess at this point, we might as well just let it out. Like, for everyone who knows, like, Eric and I were, are part of the LDS church. And uh, we've gone and served missions. But my first one was in, back in 2013. I was called to a, an area called Merida. Or Merida? Merida? Yeah. Merida, Me- Mexico. Uh, my Spanish is awful now, as you can tell. I don't remember much of it. But uh, I was in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. And uh, I was sent out there. First time ever being on foreign land. Brand new language. Dude, culture shock. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced culture shock or to the extent you have. Nah. When you're thrown. And where I was, I was in an amazing Puebla. It was beautiful. In the middle of the jungle. Um, called Hesel Chacan. Eselchikan um, has like less than 1,500 people in it, um, super poor, but it's surrounded by jungle, it's just, and it's beautiful, and everyone there is just, they're great. Like, it's easy to go talk to people. Just here in America, I feel like it's hard to talk to people. Yeah. Like, it, you could say it depends on your personality, and we can make it easy, but there, it's just part of the culture that it is easy. Here, it is not part of the culture, I feel Kinda like. Kind of like how Polynesians are really open people. Yeah, you know, around here versus yeah. regular black or white, you know, groups. Whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's just I think it's more of just American culture. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, for me, I was out there, and you know, I could sit here and I can go into all this depth and detail, but I won't do that. I'll spare I'll spare the audience. Uh, after a lot of different trials, within the time I was out, which is about three to four months, um, I ended up coming home. Now, for some people, they're like, "Oh, that's whatever." For me. Obviously, in the LDS culture, that was my first experience. So, one, that was probably my first real failure I ever remembered in my life uh, up to that point. And then that was like, that was devastating. Because in the LDS culture, for those of you who don't know, if you, it, the stigma, that's all I'm going to say is the stigma. 
not saying that this is reality, but this is at least the perceived reality that we will put on it, that certain people will put on it, especially when you're in the middle of the situation, is that if you do not serve an LDS mission, that you have failed your church, your family, religion, XYZ, that you were not as good as everyone else. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yeah, that's right there. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> um, and God, not just for telling you know, it's funny in the middle of my, while I was still in Mexico, we get chances to email people. And I remember I emailed you. I remember I emailed you. I was like, dude, I'm just, I'm really. Did I answer back? Yeah, you did. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you did. And I was trying not to say what was happening. I think that's one thing we get into is the fact that not enough people talk about mental health and I didn't know it. I was one of them. Now I will. I'll, I'll openly talk about stuff. But back then, I don't think it was even a top behavior. It was just, I'd never had that. I'd never dealt with it. So I just thought, don't talk about it. And I remember I was emailing so many different people and you were one of them. And I just sent an email like, yeah, man, like Mexico's great. I'm just really struggling though. And I was just like, I'm not going to lie. I think about going home all the time. Um, lo and behold, had I said in the moment, which was if I stay here another night, I'll probably lay down on the railroad tracks. That's where I was mentally. And I remember specifically saying that. Um, and that's just where I was. And that's pretty, that's actually pretty graphic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. thought, you know, kind of like, if you don't know this, the comic book, Old Man Logan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wolverine was so distraught in the comics that he killed, like, the whole X-Mansion plot twist <laughs> that he ended up putting his head on the railroad and ended up trying to kill himself. So, it's yeah. pretty graphic. So, I totally, you know, yeah. and I get that and uh, sharing that on here. But that's that was, at the time, for when where I was mentally with depression and anxiety in a culture I didn't get with another 18-year-old who was amazing, but he was also 18. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, at 18, I can't believe I even called myself an adult. I would go back and slap the shit out of myself. <laughs> no, we were not. We were kids. We were kids thrown into the middle of the jungle. Yeah. And uh, he was go lucky. He was handling great. That's that's perfect. I was not. Um, and so I remember I, eventually I came out and I talked about it. And I, I said that very thing to my companion that I, you know, if I stay here one more night, I'm probably going to go lay down the railroad track. And... Eventually, it just led to me going home. And I remember from that point on where it was... But, but was it easy, though? Because I know some mission presidents want to keep you as much as no, possible. No, I don't want to get down that rabbit hole too deep. Um, because if I did, I would speak very mean of him. <laughs> That's fair Like, enough. I'm being honest. Like, I, I do it to be nice. Not because he's a member of the church. I don't care what you're a member of. If, yeah. you, if, you're, if you do mean stuff, like, you absolutely have your shit talked about you. Oh, yeah. It's just for the fact that I want to be a better person. But believe me, could I go on? <laughs> yeah. So let me put it that way. I'm trying That's to come home. Nice. And the most I'll say is I was definitely felt demonized for wanting to go home. So that fed into that stigma. That's that perceived stigma of you're a failure. If you go home, um, go home. Also, you got to see people again who didn't seem expect to see me for two years. They, uh, I'm just like, oh, what happened? What happened? And I, I lied. I'll be straight up honest. I don't believe in lying. I don't believe in like, you know, going against your morals, but that was one of those moments I couldn't bring myself to talk to. I couldn't look people in the eye. So I had to come up with something. And, it, and, well, actually, this, this was true. This was, but it was a lie that it was the reason. It wasn't the reason at all. I tell people that I ate pink chicken or, like, undercooked chicken, which you, I did, oh. and I did get sick from it. You never told me that, actually. I didn't, I didn't need to tell close friends. Yeah. I knew for a fact I could tell close friends the real thing. Gotcha. But as far as, like, people who I know believed were close, but it was just I couldn't, even if we were technically at that time, I still couldn't let them down. Like, I wasn't on that level of, like, I feel like I'm going to fail you. So I'd tell people, like, yeah, I, I ate this chicken. I got sick. And I had to come home. And eventually I'll go out. And that's just what I always said. Uh, 
18 years old, turned into 19. I was home. And boy, like, so that happened that same year. I came home and I think it'd be like three, four months later, I turned 19. But regardless, like, uh, the next nine months of me coming home were definitely the worst of my life ever. Um, they kind of give everyone a place. So it was why we need to talk about mental illness. And it really does need to be a better discussion just in general. I'm not talking about just on the podcast. I mean, in general, it needs to be open. Yeah. Find a close friend. Um, close yeah. friend. I think the more you talk about it, the more you kind of air it out, kind of like a fart in a room, you know, the yeah. more you, you open the door, it's relieving, the more you know? it gets out. And it's one of those things of, and then it's actually not as bad to talk about. Um, for me, the next nine months after coming home, yeah, I turned 19, but also those, in those nine months, I was just bedridden, like diagnosed with clinical depression. Um, I I don't know why, and maybe I would now. I don't know. I'm not going to act like I'm better now, but I refused depression meds. I felt like if I got on depression meds, I was accepting a fate. Like, I don't know why. It's just that if I, if I take those meds, I'm accepting it. Like, it's a thing. So I, I never went to a psychiatrist. During that time, I never went to a psychiatrist to go and get medication, to get help. I just stayed by myself. No, that's a lie. I actually went to a psychiatrist like twice, but that was it. And I stopped going. Um, he was amazing. It wasn't anything with him. But anyway, there were moments where I just couldn't get out of bed. And people want to ask about, like, well, what do you mean you're bedridden? Because I, I will use that term. I mean, okay, bedridden is when something puts you in bed and you can't get up. Okay, let me put it to you this way. I had no energy to get out of bed. The only thing that motivated me to get out of bed was to use the bathroom or if I had to eat. That was it. Like, that was the only time I had energy. And let me tell you a story to kind of back that up. Because you're like, oh, you could have found energy. I had a buddy call me to take me on a full expense paid trip to Disneyland. Never had been. And he's just like, dude, I'll just take you. Like, let's go. Like, he knew what I was dealing with. He was amazing at the time. And he just said, you don't have to pay for anything. Pack your stuff, get in my car, and let's go. By the way, that's a real friend right there. If you want to deal with someone like you, all y'all need someone like that. If you don't have someone in your circle like that, get you one or question the friends you do have. So I remember I was laying there in my bed when he called me. I looked over at my shoes and, and actually my pants that were right next to each other. And because I knew I'd have to put on jeans and I knew I'd have to put on my shoes, I, I, I had no energy to do it. And I didn't know how to tell him that. How do you tell someone I'm going to deny this offer? Because I don't want to put on shoes because I can't physically get myself out of bed to put on shoes. And for people who don't understand that, that my mental or mental state, don't just say, well, yes, you could have, you could have done it. Like, no, just shut up. Don't talk to me. We can catch these hands later. I can do that now. So, <laughs> um, but people who do get it, like it, it's something like it's indescribable. It's like you fall into a pit and you don't know what it's like. You don't, you feel like you're drowning, but you're not able to die. Let me put it that way. I think that's a, a bit of a darker turn. I get that, but it's also the, the best way you feel like you're drowning, but you're not able to die. Um, and that was it. I couldn't, I just felt like I couldn't move. And I just lied. I said, Hey man, I'm sorry, but I'm actually really busy that day, but I really appreciate you. And he's like, Oh, thanks man. Cause I knew if I also told him the truth, um, that he would try to motivate me to get up. And I just didn't want to deal with that. I knew he'd be like, no, like I'll come get you. I'll help you out. Like I knew, I knew he would, cause that's just who he was. And I still was like, I just want to avoid this whole thing. Just nope. Just I'm busy. Sorry. It was a clear sign to me on that day. I had an issue and I had a problem. Um, it was actually moving to Rexburg. Those stories we talked about, um, moving to Rexburg was one of the things that got me going. Uh, the first time when you and I went, that was actually my second time moving to Rexburg. Oh, but yeah, the yeah. first time I moved just with some cousins and that's actually what ended up getting me here today. Had they not offered me a place in their home, I don't know where I'd be. I, I don't think I'd be here in Provo. I don't, I don't know. Still be stuck in Modesto. Oh, dude. I, 
I would be six feet in the ground. I remember yeah. all the time. Like in, in Mexico, I'd say I'd lay down on the railroad tracks. In Modesto, I kept a bottle of uh, 500 pills of ibuprofen at all time. And I said, the day I'm going to go, I'm just going to swallow all of them. I won't tell anyone. I'll just sit there. Dang. Maybe that was it. And maybe maybe I would have changed my mind had I done it. Because there's people in the moments that when they commit the act, they regret it. I don't know. And I'm not going to act like I know. I'm just going to say like that That was my that was what the method was going to be. And uh, so, you know, I don't know where I'd be. And to me, that was still my biggest failure. Now I look at it now and I can look, I can see that had that not happened, I wouldn't be who I am today, that failure. Um, and of course, all the people who are part of helping me get out of it, but it was, I, I needed it. Like I needed that more now than I can remember because it taught me how strong I can be. It taught me how to do hard things. Um, and it's not all at once. This has been, oh damn, whew, I'm getting old. 19, so seven years ago, mm. seven years ago, just about, about this time, seven years ago would have been when I moved to Rexburg at the end of the nine months. Um, so yeah, uh, for me, that was my greatest failure. And I'll still kind of hold on to that, I guess, because it, it doesn't drive me and motivate me now because I can't take it back. And I do wish I'd finished. And I did, I did go back out. That one was different. And so it's kind of funny. I did actually end up going back out on a mission, but uh, I tore my hamstring and it created a lot of problems and I came back that one. I don't feel bad about. I'm like, that was easily the most painful thing I've dealt with. Uh, and I can get into that one day, but no, that was different. This was just a simple, I felt like I was beaten plain and simple. Will it was like the mind over matter, whatever you want to call it. Just, uh, I felt beaten. Like there was no injuries to show it. There was no scars, cuts, bruises. It was just, I was beat. And I, I don't have a written excuse. How do you tell someone the excuse? I don't feel like I'm, I'm mentally ill. What do you tell them? I have depression. You know, you're healed back. We all got it. We all got anxiety. We all got depression. I know you, I know people say it. I'm not going to act high. Maybe, maybe I've said it in my life. I hope not. Um, I, I try not to say things like that. But I think what you cannot, you know, what you can't forget is everyone, I've heard this, everyone has two faces. And we say being two-faced like a bad thing, but you have to understand too, yeah. two faces is also, it could be your sense of protection. Uh, the second face is the smile you put on to show everyone. And the second is the one you don't show anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it's the one you have to look in the mirror. Yeah. So there's that. So I guess like if there's something I can say is, first off, if you are in that point, I'm going to start at the bottom and build our way up. But if you are at that point where you just feel like you, you would rather disappear, you'd rather fade away, you'd rather die, you'd rather go away, whatever you want to word it as. Um, I hope you know that first off, it does get better. In the heat of it, you won't be able to see that. You won't be able to feel that. It does get better. Um, I've been very emotional these last two weeks because of an opportunity of a lifetime I've never thought I'd get. And I'm not going to talk too much about it. That will be eventually on the show. But um, that is not something for right now because there's even legal aspects I can't talk about. And I'm just, I'm like, wow, had I had I finished myself? If I, if I had killed myself, I would be missing out on this opportunity to change my life forever, our lives forever, uh, my mom's life forever. If I ever have a, a wife and a family, change their life forever. All that stuff, you know? And it's just crazy. So if I'm talking to you now, to the people out there who are dealing with that and you feel like you need to disappear and you feel like, you know, life is too hard, you feel like you don't have a place. One, the best advice I can give you, and it sounds so arbitrary, it sounds so silly. You need to find, build your close circle of friends. You feel like you don't have one. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your grandma. Maybe for me, one of the closest people who helped me out was actually my baby cousin. 
because every time she saw me, she did not look at me as the failure who failed at the mission. Uh, she just saw her older cousin. So, and, you know, she was like a younger sister to me anyway, but stuff like that. You need to surround yourself with people who see you for who you are and who you feel like they, that most people don't get to see. And then when those hard times come, just remember that they did not come to stay. I promise they've come to pass. You get through it. And when you get on the other side of it and you realize how strong you are, slowly and surely, it might take you seven years like me. It didn't come at once. The will to get up, the will to be better, the will to change, like it, it comes slowly. It's momentum. It slowly builds up. I've talked about that before on the show. And it comes and you got to hold out just a little bit longer. If you got to reach out to people, reach out. There's nothing weak about it. There's nothing bad about it. But also on top of that, please just understand like you do have a place. And when people see what you have overcome, um, I, I can't even imagine. Like, you don't know what you're going to do for other people. One of the biggest things I hear now is if I've ever shared that story about like depression and anxiety, so many times, I, I don't know how many times I've heard this. They look at me like, you you have anxiety? I'm like, I deal with awful anxiety to this day. Awful. To this, to this very day. Um, one thing, and I'm up. I'm worried. I'm, I'm picking things apart in my head. I'm overthinking. I have awful anxiety, but because of how I carried myself now, I kind of, I guess it's one of those masks that I talked about. You would never have guessed it. You would never guess that I could be sitting in a room and I could look totally calm, totally confident. And I'm second guessing everything about myself. You'd never know it. Um, maybe it's a defense mechanism, but it, maybe it's also because I learned that at some point there is some truth to fake it till you make it. There's some power to it, some strength to it. And because of that though, I know that there have been people, especially when working with kids with those issues, that they feel more open to talk to me. They look up to me. They ask me, what do you do? What have you done? What helped you? How did you overcome it? And it was just wait. Like, you got to wait it out with people. It's like the fox, the foxhole. You are in the middle of it. Boy, if I could put that right there. You're in the foxhole. You might have one or two people in it. Yeah. And in depression, in the middle of depression, you might feel like you got one or two people who have your back. Oh, yeah, that's facts. One yeah. or two people who have your back. And I, what I need to do, you need to hold on close to them. Get you some of those friends like I got, that I had, that were so amazing for me. And you hold on to them because when it gets out and it's time to leave that foxhole, people will not be able to believe what you survived. And when they hear that you did and you share your story that you did, you will be the hero who stormed out of that foxhole that no one thought would make it. And to this day, I'll like where it is still my biggest failure, failing at that mission and of course, yeah, I'm not the same person I was back then. Maybe in some ways I'm, I'm uh, in better ways for sure. But in some things, maybe not as good. Of course, now I got a mouth of a sailor. I didn't talk like that back then. Never talked like that back then. That's true. Yeah, you were nice. So, yeah, maybe I'm a bit more of an asshole now. <laughs> but it was just, you know, you got you to gotta outlast it. And that's what it is. It's a waiting game. But wait with people who care about you, who love you. And when that dust settles, you're going to get up from it. And people, like I said, you're going to be such a beacon for them. So that's, that's my take on it. I know I talked a while on that. Oh, no, that was good. That was much needed, especially for the young kids out there, you know, dealing with the issues. Dude, yeah. younger kids now, like dealing, working with kids, it's the most heartbreaking thing. Oh, yeah. Because what's crazy, and I know we talked some stuff about this with Arthur. Back, if people go back, I think it was our fourth podcast ever. You go back and you'll listen. We talked with Arthur about the mental health of children and parents who, kids who are, sorry, let me put it this way. Parents are parents who are extremely rich and they give their kids everything. Do not realize what they took from them. Um, so many of the kids I deal with are 
come from families that are so freaking rich, it's not even funny. They have nothing to really work towards, no real triumph. It, it turns lives. into that. And you're like, no, like they will. Like that's not every kid. They become okay. hollow inside. It depends. When these kids openly said, I had one, he was so open and honest about it. He was just flat out, just like, I have no ambition because I know when I turn 18, I will never have to work a day in my life. And he wasn't doing it to brag. He wasn't doing it to hurt me. He wasn't doing it to be an asshole. I just said, dude, why do you do these dumb things? Like I had to just say it for once because everyone was coddling him. And you know what? He hated being coddled. He's like, everyone coddles me. Nothing can, nothing was done in his life when he, like that his parents couldn't pay him out of, yeah. that they couldn't buy him out of. Every time he messed up, it was, oh, you'll get this cool toy. This cool, like the new Xbox, the new PS5. You'll get like possibly this new car. He's like, he was tired of being coddled, but he didn't know how to say that. Because then how ungrateful do you sound? I'm I'm tired that people give me what I want yeah. and understand that the kids, like some of them, and I know, again, this is not all of them. I'm not going to get to speak for every rich kid out there. But what I will say is that when you do that to them, you take so much. You take away that feeling that they can be ambitious and achieve something. And that also brought upon depression for him. He cut. He cut himself. One of the only things he felt like he could control that he felt something. And it was so sad that we'd have to watch that. Here's this kid, a, a life comes from a life a family that people would kill for. Absolutely. People would kill for. I know for a fact, we all know that people would kill for money. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was no happiness for him and he would cut himself. It's just the saddest thing. I don't know. That's there's the mental health, mental health of kids is something I think, well, I think we are just, uh, we're on the precipice of how realizing how how big this this is, really is, and and it's weird because I think it's a, it's obviously a generational thing because let's be honest, I mean boomers probably dealt with depression, but let's be real, they were so busy in their day to day life in the fifties and sixties and seventies to where they just ignored it put on the back burner, but then you get to the nineties kids, the two thousands kids. And it's like, okay, well we do, you know, we don't, we don't, we have different struggles now. So you need to find ways to address our issues. Some yeah. people say medication as somebody who grew up on medication. I got to say, none of that stuff actually helps. It just do, it just pits you in this little cage, but it doesn't help with the issue. You got to do some sports. You got to get out there you gotta fix, and, yeah. and do something with yourself. If you have no triumph in your life, then you have nothing to work for work towards, like you said. You yeah. know, if you're just rich, that's great. But w- w- what's the point if you don't have any yeah. character with that money? So do a sport, you know, pick up an art, you know, do painting, you know, I don't know, do something. Yeah. And that's um, poetry was actually a big deal for me when I was up in Rexburg. I think I, remember I don't know if you remember that. You remember that? Yeah. I went through that whole phase. I still got the book with me. Yeah. Still got my poetry book. And it was a thing. Every day I was in it, I was writing poetry. And it was, some of it was dumb. I look back and I can't believe what I was thinking. But some of it just needed to be said. Sometimes it was just, I got to talk and there's no one to listen. And I knew I could write it down. Yeah. Um, boy, yeah. Uh, kind of going back to that mental health thing of kids, man. We are, I think, as someone now who has been a frontline, that's what I've been labeled as a frontline healthcare specialist, uh, dealing with children. Uh, we are, man, I, I don't think people realize how bad it's going to get. Because uh, what you talked about the 50s. Okay, so one thing now is that we have instant gratification like that. Oh, it's so true. fast. I know. I, I just bought this tablet the other day and it came in like in four days. That expensive thing I told you I had to buy the other yeah. day, it'll be here in two days. I yeah, bought it, it'll be here two days later. Yeah. Like instant gratification is so fast. Yeah. And it's, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, it wasn't a thing. I'm not saying that that's the only thing that contributes, obviously, but I'm saying it's a factor. Yeah. I'm saying it's a factor now that you want anything, it's at the tip of your, it's at the, 
the, the tip of your fingers. And yes, it is an amazing tool that you have. It's not just your phone. It could be your computer. You know, there's so many different things I'm talking about now. We're just a soundbite generation, you know? Everything yeah. we have is just quick. Oh, right there and right then and there. Most of it, majority yeah. of it. And so I think you got to learn to... And the only reason I feel like I have a right to talk about rich families and that stuff is because of what I've seen it does to children. Oh, yeah. Because I've had to clean up the blood of children. Okay. That got a little deep right there, but I'm going to say I have had to clean up the blood of children because rich families thought throwing money at your kids is how you fix them. Yeah. No, the hell it's not. It's not. <laughs> I'll go to bat any day of the week. You yeah. message me. You can have my address. We'll meet up in Provo. Yeah, no, right I, here. Trust me, I, I agree. I, with I'm a hundred percent behind that. And, and and it's funny you mentioned that because I remember I got really jaded with the treatment center community, whether it's back in Florida or in here in Utah. If it's you know black kids, white kids, rich or poor, it's all the same thing. And and, yeah. I, and I always put the blame majority on parent because it's like you have such a strong influence in your kid's life, and yet you fucked it up with either too much money or not enough attention or just both. And then now you want us to clean up your, you know, your mess. Like you said, you know, the blood. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, I shouldn't have to teach your kids about these things. This is your job. What? I've had these deep conversations with kids. Where I'm like, look, this is too deep for me. I'll help you, but I shouldn't have to. I'm yeah. not your blood relations. Yeah. And of course we're going to, we're going to do it. And it's sad because um, you and I are both from a background where we don't like our, our fathers didn't step up. I'll straight up say our fathers didn't step up and be dads. Yeah, yeah, Hell yeah. no, they didn't. Yeah. And you know what's sad is when I got to work with these kids and they start calling me dad. And I'm like, there's a point where it's like, oh, it's endearing and I get it. But at the same point, I'm like, what the hell? Like, if I was a dad and my son or daughter is calling someone else dad. <laughs> I'm fighting that dad on sight. <laughs> do you know, I can't fight him. Because to me, to me, that's not on him. That was on me. No, man, you're what right, did, What did I do? Yeah. Or what didn't you do? And I'm, Yeah, what didn't Gosh. you do? And I'm just, and it, they'll say it. And I got to tell them, like, hey, you can't call me that. It's not appropriate. They're not saying it in a weird way. They're meaning it in an endearing way. Oh, yeah. I've had kids tell me they wish I was their dad. And I was like, and I'm like not even 10 years older than some of them. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things of like, how on earth is a parent okay with this? How are you sitting there and you, and your kid is going to someone else wishing that they were their parent? I don't get it. Now I'm not a parent and, and it's hard because people are like, oh, then you get, no, you get, don't get to say anything. You don't get to. No, you deal with kids the way I've had to. You've been there holding kids crying. You've been there cleaning up their blood after they cut themselves. Yeah. You don't, I don't get to get stifled on this one. This oh, is yeah. a topic I'll go hand over fist for any day of the week. And I don't care. See, like, exactly. If that's you, that's if, one I won't back if, off If you on. work with it, then you have every right to and you know, preach about it. Do we get to talk about every aspect of parenting? Not at all. Yeah. But do we get to talk about parts of raising kids? Absolutely. And I won't back off on it. You can sit in there and say, well, you haven't had a kid for 18 years. Shut up. Right. You didn't have one too because you messed up. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you don't get to talk on that either. <laughs> and let's be honest to that parent who would say that. Did you really have that kid for 18 years? Or was it wasn't nine months. And then, boom, you gave it to somebody else to take care of, either a nanny or just the TV, you know? Yeah. Well, and here's something too is like, yeah, and other people raise them. I got this aspect too of like, if people want to say like, well, you don't know what it's like. Like he was a, he was a bad kid. He was a behavioral kid. He wanted to fight all the time. I've had plenty of kids who want to fight. I've had kids threaten to kill me. Oh, yeah. And you know what's funny? Every kid that's ever threatened to fight me, any kid that's ever threatened to kill me are usually the ones who end up calling me dad later. Why? So why is that? So why, why could a 26 year old get your kid to that point? Like, well, you get to go home at the end of the day. What? I was working 16 hour days. I had 20 hour work week. Right. You literally spend I'm more like, time with those kids than those parents did with their kids. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. so obviously you failed too. Aren't you at work? You're not yeah. with your kid all day. I'm not with your kid all day. Don't, don't hit me with that. 
Oh yeah. And then, well, then they want to bring up the excuse. I know I'm hitting every base, but I don't care now. Um, well, they want to bring up the excuse like, well, I have the stress of work and then I got to go home and deal with the stress of a kid. Okay. I got to deal with the stress of your kid. And at the time, depending on like what part of the season we're in, I could be upwards of 60 kids in one, in one little lot that I'll work in one of the communities could be upwards of 20 at one time in eight hours. Do you want me to throw you in with 20 behavioral kids? <laughs> 20 behavioral kids with mental ill with yeah. mental illnesses that when one gets triggered, the 19 could be triggered. I've had one kid cut and had six kids cut after him because they saw it. Don't sit here and tell me about pressure. I won't, yeah. I won't buckle under that. Now, what I will say is like, now this is not to be unempathetic. If you just admit to like, I'm human and I didn't know what to do. Boom. I can accept, you know why? Cause no one wrote a book on it. Exactly. But I hate when it gets defended. I hate it. I can't stand it. it. It gives me visceral anger because it's, if you just open up, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a parent. Like no one taught me how to do this. I can accept it because it's like, Hey, you're being honest. And guess what? You're right. But what I won't sit and, and take is like, well, you know, he was a bad kid ever since. What? A bad kid. how did I get this bad kid to like me? how did I get this bad kid to respect me? how did I get this bad kid that when he waits for me to come in, this kid who's prone to anger and he just wants to sit there and talk to me about his feelings. How'd I get that? Didn't intimidate him. You don't intimidate people to open up their feelings. You, I didn't buy it. <laughs> don't get paid enough for that. Yeah. So what'd I do? Yeah. Miss me with that. Miss yeah. me with the, that shit of any excuses. I'll totally accept it is hard because you don't know what to do. Totally accept it. And that's because there's no right book out there, but it's when people stop trying and you just use the excuse. Well, you don't understand Come work, work in a facility like that. Tell me how long you last. There's a reason it's a high turnover rate. Yeah. And that we lasted so freaking long. So anyway, this went from mental health, but it still goes to show like you want to make excuses. You want to say that you handed your kids the world. You want to say that you were always there. I mean, and look, look what happened still. Yeah, to be honest, there's a lot of uh, sperm donors out there who would say that. And there's a lot of people who just open their legs. And you, you do the bare minimum, let's be honest. Most parents, you know, especially in treatment centers, you know, scenarios like you mentioned, they, in my opinion, and I'm very harsh, just like you, towards these people, is just you do the bare minimum. They do. Yeah, they do it. They do the bare minimum. And so, I don't know, I get, you know, really vicious. For example, I remember in Florida, I was working at this lockdown facility, and it was one, two, three, and at one time, four kids from the same family tree who are in the same program together. I'm like, you have a family reunion here every other month when your family visits. Now, they we were in Pensacola, and this family was in Orlando. That's a seven-hour drive. So every other month, the mom and, you know, her sisters and whatnot, they would come and visit, you know, their kids. And I'm like, what is wrong with you to work most of your kids, your youth, your, your your next generation of kids is in a program. Their program shouldn't raise kids. And the sad thing is, you know, one of my friends called me up, you know, uh, one of the kids I used to talk to uh, like a month or two ago. And he was telling me, oh, yeah, my cousin, uh, so-and-so. Yeah, I uh, remember him. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, he was stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's back in. Wait, so wait, he, he's been in since he was 12 and he's 16 now. And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's a program kid now. And I was like, wow. And I said, what's he in for? Letting, uh, I can't even. Yeah. I, I promise I'll take up two hours talking about that shit. If yeah. we get on like letting a program raise your kids. Oh, gosh. No, don't get me wrong. If there was like an actual, let's say, uh, I don't want to say actual because they're all a mental health issue. But I'm talking about, let's say like your kid is severely autistic, uh, deals with I, I don't know, schizophrenia. Okay. We are not referencing to all of you. 
That does not count oh, yeah, to you because no, that is something that's such no. a whole nother battle that you do need help with that. That's something no one can teach, especially like parenting already. You can't teach that as well, but that it's like, that's hard. Yeah. So I, that's not going out to y'all. This is going to the people, your kid just needed attention and you came up with every damn excuse to not give it to them. You came up with every excuse while you were in the right and your kid's a piece of shit and they're not. And I will promise, I can't even say that enough. I promise if I ever heard a parent say that to me, it would be a fade on the site because that same kid, I've never had a kid I've actually legitimately hated and thought that kid needs to burn in hell. That's never happened. <laughs> I've never had a kid where I thought, man, like I'm really happy you got to spend time in treatment. Like it's, I'm, I guess there's a temporal happiness, which is I'm happy you're finally getting the d attention you need because your parents didn't give it to you. But I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm the biggest asshole in the world on that. If it's honest, like I didn't know what to do, I can accept it because no one does. But if you sit there and you want to make up X, Y, Z excuse while you were so busy because you were trying to run a business or whatever, and that's a lot of them. They try to be businessmen and they forget to be parents. And I'm just like, no, nah, your, your responsibility is that kid. You took care of him. Great. You, you did the bare minimum of like feeding him and you did that well. You got tons of money, but he doesn't know what it's like to have an older brother. He doesn't know what it's like to have a mentor. He doesn't know what it's like to to have someone teach him the ways of, of life, of manhood. And that goes too with feet, with the some of the uh, girls that we have there. I've had to talk to them too. Now, of course, i got to be much more careful. They say that dad <laughs> stuff. Like, you definitely cannot say that. Oh, yeah. You definitely I mean, need to stay away from calling me that. It gets cringy. But it's the sad fact too that even they've still tried. And I'm like, guys, like that's not a thing. But I just... Not every situation is perfect. I don't get to dictate every situation. We are being very specific too. Yeah. So I've had parents, I've had, there was a student um, who I believe both of her parents died in a car accident. Yeah. Okay. Can't control that one. Yeah. It was unfortunate. I'm talking yeah. about to the people. It is damn well in your power. Don't, don't put off the excuse. Well, you don't know. No. Do a self-evaluation. Was it damn well in your power? If you're a multimillionaire, I expect it was in your power. You had time to build a business. You got time to build a family. Yeah. And I just, like I said, I could go on for hours about that. And I, I should probably stop before I go too far in. Yeah, no, no I, trust me, I, I agree. And yeah, I don't know, just for all the parents out there, like, this is like what we said with like with that fourth video with Austin, you know. Oh, with just, Arthur. Arthur, yeah, just do your best to work with the kids, you know. It's a we thing. It's not a you thing. It's a we thing. Yeah, exactly. Just be just. Be combative in how you handle your kids' issues. Like, you know, Thomas has mentioned, there's so many things that you can't handle. For example, a kid, you know, has some severely autistic issues. That's understandable. But if you can't give him some attention and he's just a regular kid who's acting out, you can do it. For, I mean, a quick little side story. Because, again, what time are we at? I don't want to take too much Dude, time. Dude, don't even trip about it. Don't worry about time. Just okay. go. I just remember as a kid, I was a behavioral kid because, you know, like you mentioned before, you know, our dads didn't really step up to the plate and... You know, he would, you know, my dad, he was very harsh. And so how he would treat the kids, how he'd treat, you know, you know, mom, you know, that reflected on how I acted in class. So I, in my in my head, I was like, oh, every authority figure is my dad. So I acted out from third, oh, yeah. second grade all the way up until psh, probably my sophomore year. Then that's when my coaches got a hold of me, told me to cut that shit out if they want me to be on varsity. And that's why I said they were more like father figures. And I love my, my real dad, but they were more like father figures because they gave me that structure of, hey, I understand you got some stuff going on at home, but you don't get to be an asshole to everybody Thank else. You. Because people, and that's sucks. true. <laughs> and, well, it's right. Because and, and, you know, one thing we can always do is that we can always find a worse story than ours. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And guess, I bet, not only that, I bet we could always find a worse story than ours. And I'm, this goes out to the listeners too. 
Oh, yeah. so we can find someone probably with a worse story than yours. And with that worse story, we can also find people who probably weren't assholes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and so it's hard to justify yourself for being Oh, alone. yeah, and you know what's funny about that? You know, working at a treatment center, I realized that, oh, my life was difficult, I guess, but it wasn't that bad compared to y'all. I think I was pretty good, you know. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take my life true. over y'all's. Now, there's that saying, if everyone could take your problems, every issue, insecurity, whatever it is, everything negative in your life, and you put it on a table with a group of others, strangers, let's just go with strangers, and you got to look at what everyone had, you would take yours back. Because at least now you've been through yours and you know that you can at least survive that. But I don't know if I could survive that. Yeah. When I deal with kids or even adults that have been sexually assaulted, I'm like, oh, I, yeah. that, that's one of those that's, things like, that's tough. I, I, I'm flat out honest. Like, hey, I have no idea what that's like. Yeah. And I, 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 I have to tell them, like, I have no idea what that's like, but I'm here to talk to you if you want to. Can I just say that's probably one of the most like powerful things you can say to someone. I'm here to talk to you if you need it. Because it shows right there that you're not trying to fake trauma. You're not trying to fake empathy. You yeah. have no idea what it's oh, like. Yeah. I have no idea what that's like. And where I'm very grateful for that as well. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it makes you just your heart goes out so much more to those who have dealt with it. And you feel almost useless. And like, how do I talk to them? And simple human presence. That that feeling of you are important. Regardless of what has happened to you, you are an important person still to me. And uh, giving that, you know, projecting that to them and making sure they understand that so boy man like i said we could go on for hours and this is not coming from us as i should say with experts with degrees or certifications technically i have one certification but i still won't get into that um this is experience that when i saw like what we've seen what i've had to clean up what i've had to deal with um in my opinion though that's i'm really jaded toward the educational system especially in america and so i feel like what we especially you experience it's, it's, it's a lot better for us on paper than what you learned in college. Yeah. You know? And well, who has ever said that too? Who's ever said like, education is more important than experience. What? Yeah. Experience is its own form of education. But anyway, no yeah. one will ever make that claim, I think. <laughs> and I, I don't think anyone's dumb enough to try to. Uh, but yeah. So biggest failures, man. Um, I think the next part of our lives, the next biggest failure that we could have, but we need to make sure we never have, and this is for anyone who's listening, anyone who's watching us. Imagine that, or if you already have a kid, but imagine you have your kid and imagine them calling someone else mom or dad because you were not enough. Not saying you have to be perfect, not saying you have to be the greatest, not saying there's a book out there that can teach it to you, but it is simple human presence being around when they need you. And I don't, I, I truly, if I could boil it down, is there small factors? Yeah, I could say this and that, like several ways of talking, making sure they understand it's a team effort, not just a them effort, but there's so many different things, but it, it just all comes down to, are you there for me when I need you? Can I talk to you? And that's it. everything I think boils down to that. So I just put that in your mind, whatever failures you've gone through now in your life, whatever, whatever it is that you have overcome, I truly believe that, and again, maybe you're an older audience and I don't know, but if you do have a kid or you are wanting children, imagine what that would be like to that one weird staff somewhere in Provo, Utah. Imagine your kid is now wanting, not being told to, not being edged to do it. They are choosing to try and call someone else dad or mom. Your kid made that decision. Yeah. I don't know already that that gets me going thinking about that. Please think about that. So whatever you want to do with your life, keep that in the back of your mind because it does happen. And you might think that doesn't at over firsthand experience. Yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you how many kids now 
I don't like been in it too long. It's yeah. happened too many times. So anyway, well, Eric, any final words? Just, you know, one quote and maybe it's Fitzgerald, but I believe he said, you know, if I show you a uh, hero. I can also show you a, you know, a tragedy, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. If you, if you show me a hero, I'll show you a tragedy. And that's true. Cause heroes come from tragedies. Exactly. So going back to you, what you said about, you know, just your biggest regrets, you know, we remember Greek tragedies because they're interesting to us because they're a good cautionary tale. And so you may be that Greek tragedy, but you can always triumph over that tragedy and become something better. And so just you know, go out there, you know, make your mistakes, but keep moving forward. And if you ever have kids, be a good parent. That's yeah. like, be present in your kids' I life, and it. it'll make a huge difference. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not your kid's daddy or their mm -mm. uncle. I love no. them, but not no. that much. And that's the thing, too, is, oh, man, you hit that so on the nail right there. If, that, if there was ever one thing, too, and I kind of touched on it, I guess, but why to overcome your failure if you feel like you're about to give up? You do not understand the connection you will build with people later on. How powerful the hero you will become. I could, we could both go back, you know, someone who, who felt like they failed themselves in their identity, someone who felt like they failed their family and their religion. Um, and yet we both got to a point where people, or I should say kids were choosing to like choosing that, or I should say wishing that we had been their parents. And how did we get to that point? And it's because we survived it. And if you survive it, you could be in the same place one day where people look to you as like, I need that person in my life. Not saying it's a kid wanting you to be the mom and dad, just saying that it's someone saying, I want that person in my life. So anyway, guys, thanks again. We know this one got real, it got real deep. Oh, uh, yeah. These conversations I think need to be had. It's always good for us to be vulnerable and just get it out there. I feel better talking about it all the time. To be honest, I haven't done this since DA, our work, you know, the place I used to yeah. work at, that was over a year ago. That's it's weird. Yeah. So something we will be doing too is that just for the sake of the conversation, let's just put, we'll put the suicide hotline down low. If you need to talk to someone, there you go. That's always open. So yeah. anyway, and you can always reach out to the ogre in the ass. We'll, we'll help you out. Some people, it's, they like being roasted. There's something about it. <laughs> if you like being roasted, let us know. We'll roast you. And that makes you feel better for part to you. But if you also just need someone to talk to, reach out to us. We, we're always, we don't got lives, man. We don't got families yet. We're just right. Here. Thomas has his, you know, projects. I got some of my projects. I don't. I, I always got my phone life. on me though. So I always see messages. Shoot, my Tinder and Grinder is empty. Oh, so I got much is. going on. So, you know, I got oh, free time to talk to you. you that'd know? be hilarious. <laughs> I think actually one of the next things we should do after this raffle is see who can find Eric on Tinder or on Grinder. <laughs> who can find Eric on Grinder? Anyone who finds Eric on Grinder, maybe they get a prize. Like the first person to send us a screenshot. I will give them a hundred dollars if they can find me on Grinder. I will react my account just for that actually someone did send me a picture of your grinder account not too long ago and i, I was laughing they? i was laughing oh maybe it was your tinder account but i was laughing my ass off i was like i can't believe you posted that oh All yeah. I'll say is this. it's the picture <laughs> with the popsicle yeah <laughs> i'll let the audience have their minds away with that one <laughs> uh anyway guys thanks again for coming on we appreciate you we love you we we do see you out there we're always thinking about you guys about what we can do to better help all of you have better conversations give us any tips or comments anything you want to hear or talk about we're more than willing to give in our two cents so anyway guys like always but until next time stay the hell out of our swamp